Hey everyone, welcome. I do want to just echo a little bit what Nate said and just take a moment to remember and to honor all of those who have sacrificed so much for us, for our country, and also just take a second to thank all of you who have served, who are serving, and for those of you who are praying for your soldier, countless hours. And so uh, we'd love to be able to come alongside of you uh, and thank them with you. So if you know someone, please tag them in a comment on the side. We'd love just to be able to, to support and thank them with you. But how are you guys doing today? Yes, you in the room, the few of you. Uh, and how are you guys doing uh, online? Yeah, this is weird. Let me tell you, I, I love feeling the energy of a room, and you guys have your work cut out for you today. Uh, but if you know me at all, you know that I tend to be a bit of a, a social butterfly. And there's no time more evident than this for me than when I was in college. My freshman and sophomore year especially, I would average probably two to three all-nighters a week. And it's not, not for lack of trying for doing homework. I would sit down at my desk. It'd probably be three in the afternoon. I'd sit down and I'd start. And in the back of my head, all I could think about is someone somewhere is having fun without me. And I need to find them. And so I wouldn't end up starting my homework till way late at night. And there's one moment in particular that comes to mind when it was finals time and I had three huge projects due at the end of the semester. And I had to pull three all-nighters back to back to back. And well, I did really well in the projects, but the tests not so well, in particular my last test. I remember walking into the classroom, sitting down, writing my name, starting the first question, and then waking up in my bed 13 hours later. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not do well on that test. But there's a quote that is used in business education, and one that I want to start with us this morning, and it reads, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. My systems and rhythms in college were perfectly designed to get zero sleep. And we all have systems in place in our life and this morning that, that I want to just address and ask you to take a moment to evaluate kind of the rhythms that we have in our lives. Are those systems and results in line with the life of Christ, and specifically the life of Christ that he has for you. And what I mean by the life of Christ that he has for you, I mean that you have access, we have access to experience the life of Christ today if we accept his call and follow him. We're in a unique time in a lot of ways in our rhythms, in our systems, where we kind of get like a trial period, 30-day money-back guarantee kind of thing, where we get to kind of try out new rhythms, new systems. And I really want to ask, are, you, are your systems, are your rhythms getting the results that you want? And if, if you're a follower of Christ, are your rhythms and are your systems getting the results for, that Christ has for you. And so as we dive in this morning, I just want to take a second to let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to have his way. So Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we ask you to move. We know that you're moving, God, but I pray that this morning you open our eyes to reveal maybe the things that we hold too tightly to. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you open our eyes, open our hearts, and continue to have your way as we just sang. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask two main questions. And the first is, who is Jesus to you? So go ahead and take a moment uh, in the comments, answer that. Who is Jesus to you? A.W. Tozer, a brilliant theologian and Christian author, one that you've heard me, I've used this quote before and I'll use it again because I think it's so instrumental to the core, a core belief in our faith. And it reads, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if that's true, how we answer who is Jesus, who is God, that carries a lot of weight. So who is Jesus to you? If you were a a Jew in Jesus' time and you were in synagogue on a Saturday morning and Jesus walked into the room, you would have identified him as a rabbi. Now, the term rabbi in Jesus' day wasn't a formal title like we know it today. It was, it was a title of respect that literally means my master, rabbi. In the first century, a rabbi was someone who was considered a wise teacher, a, a sage. And Jesus was a young, brilliant rabbi. Now, he was God, so he's got that going for him, but he was nonetheless a brilliant young rabbi. But the view of Jesus as rabbi in our culture today is something that's kind of been put to the side. And so I really want to take a moment to just settle on this. What does it mean that Jesus is our rabbi? What does it mean that we are a follower of a rabbi? Because when it comes to following Jesus, which we've all grown up, if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with that term. In fact, it's in our mission statement, leading people to follow Jesus. Jesus. But if we don't view Jesus as my rabbi, I feel like we're missing a crucial piece of what it means to actually follow Jesus. So let's take a quick look at a few examples in the book of Mark. Uh, if you're new, new to the Bible, there's a table of contents in the front, but Mark is the second book in, in a section known as the New Testament. And Mark is one of the Gospels, and will also be in John, which is another one of the Gospels, that give a first-person account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we'll be reading just kind of a few quick uh, experiences, accounts that Mark has of Jesus calling his disciples, starting in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Next chapter, real quick, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, I love in Mark, it's actually got sinners in quotes, uh, were eating with him and his disciples, for there were, many of, there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick I have but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jumping again real quick, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. That's a phrase we're going to touch on in just a second. They might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And then uh, lastly, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it's focusing a lot on the invitation of Christ so far, but right now it's the challenge that comes with that invitation. So then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life from me and for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? To follow Jesus is more than just a decision, uh, forming a few good moral habits, and then one day ending up in heaven. And we need to have of Jesus as my rabbi, not, not just to, to understand and know more of who he is, but also to better understand our response to my rabbi. Our response when he calls us to follow him, to be a disciple, to be a follower, or in the Greek, to be his mateus. Now, the Greek word mathetes, sorry, has often been interpreted as disciple, as student, as follower. But there's one, one uh, definition, one translation that I really want to lean in today that, that will help us kind of understand a little bit better our response to Jesus as, as rabbi, and that's apprentice. Now, to give a little context of becoming a rabbi, there were generally three levels of ed- education. I know this is a little bit of a history lesson. Bear with me just for a second. Um, each more involved than the last. And the best of the best would be chosen and invited to that next level. The first level of Jewish education uh, would, was where you would learn where to read, to write, and, oh, memorize the entire, entire, entire Torah. <laughs> Which is, the Torah is, is the first five books of the Old Testament. So roughly memorize that by the age of 11 or 12. And from there, many would fall in line with their family apprenticeship, go into the family business, but the few, the chosen, would be selected into the next level, where they would come under a teacher, come under a scribe, and by the age of 14 or 15, they would have the entire Old Testament memorized. Now, they were an oral culture, they remembered things more easily, You can say that to yourself if that helps, but can you imagine having that memorized? And then from there, almost everyone was done. The third level was only for the best of the best of the best. 
And after having a very uh, critical interview process, many questions, the rabbi, if he found you worthy, would say something to you like, come, follow me. Familiar words. As we just read, Jesus used the same invitation to his disciples. And so this terminology wasn't lost on the disciples that he called. They knew what they were going into, and they knew what they were accepting Jesus as their rabbi. And so say you're one of these best of the best of the best, and you've been accepted, and this rabbi is like, hey, come follow me. You then, as an apprentice of a rabbi, have three main goals. Your first goal is to be with your rabbi. Apprenticeship was a 24-7 thing. To follow was a very literal thing. In fact, there's a rabbinical uh, uh, blessing that says that you would be blessed by the dust of your rabbi. Because as your rabbi was traveling from city to city, village to village, he would walk very slowly with all of his disciples behind him, teaching them, and you would be collecting his dust the whole way. So to be covered by his dust is to be blessed by his teaching, to be blessed by his presence, and you're being blessed by simply just being with your rabbi. The second goal of an apprentice under a rabbi is to be like your rabbi. I think this is something we all, we all naturally understand. I mean, have we ever had a role model, someone we wanted to be like? If you were anything like me, I was not one of the cool kids. In fact, I often wanted, I came home and wanted to buy clothes like the cool kids, have haircuts like the cool kids. But my mom saved me from very embarrassing outfits and some very embarrassing uh, haircuts. The bowl cut, anyone? Did anyone have that? Because I wanted it so bad. My mom would not let me have it. I appreciate it. But we have a natural desire to be like others in contrast to what our culture would say, our very hyper-individualistic uh, culture to be unique just like everyone else. Luke 6.40 says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Your goal as an apprentice, as a follower, is to talk like, to walk like, to enunciate like, to eat, to sleep, to have the same habits of your rabbi, to be like them. And the third goal is do what he would do if he were you to take what your rabbi started and continue it on. And when you're ready to graduate, your rabbi would look at you and say, good job, now go and make disciples. Again, very familiar terminology for those who've grown up in the church because those are the exact same words that Jesus would have used. And I know many of you are smart. You can see where I'm going. What is our response today to our rabbi? Our number one goal as a follower of Christ is to order or reorder our schedule, our livelihoods around simply being with Jesus. By spending time in his word and praying and having a constant connection with the Holy Spirit who, is, who acts as our intercessor. John 15 reads, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me or abide in me, or live in me, and I will remain in you. As a follower of Christ, is your life structured to be with 
or without Jesus? Is it structured to be attached to the vine and produce fruit? Or is it designed to kind of do your own thing and hope for the best? Our second goal is to be like Jesus. You are being formed. You are a disciple of something, someone. And I want to encourage you to be intentional with who you are a disciple of, who you are an apprentice of. And to help us become more like Christ is to actually practice the lifestyle of Christ. And one of the biggest and most neglected ways to practice the lifestyle of Jesus, you ready for this? It's not a, it's not a favorite. Spiritual disciplines. Yay, spiritual disciplines. But I mean, when was the last time you actually studied and applied a new spiritual discipline to your life? Think about it. We're, we're talking things like simplicity, solitude, fasting, Silence. Now, silence is not a good one for me. Have you ever seen the movie Rocket Man, where they isolate them? He ends up doing like a, a puppet show with his socks, talking to himself. That's pretty much been me in quarantine. So pray for Ange. Hashtag pray for Ange, because there's many, many reasons, uh, many reasons for that. But maybe don't start that as a hashtag. I love my wife, and I hope she loves me. Um, <clears throat> But I would highly encourage the book, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, as a place to start to help you understand what, what the different spiritual disciplines are, ways that you can get connected, and ways that you can really begin to apply them to your life. I wish we had more time to dive into those. Maybe that's a series to come in the future. But remember, the disciplines are a means to an end. The goal was never, good job, you read your Bible, or good job, you made it to church. The goal is to be with Jesus. The goal is to be like Jesus. So as we focus on being with Jesus and being like Jesus, our third goal is to do what Jesus did. And things that Jesus did was preach the gospel, eating around those who were far from God, prophesying, standing up for the oppressed, getting up stupid early to start his day with God, his Father, healing the sick. These are the things that Jesus did. He brought joy. He brought peace. He brought truth. And as an apprentice of Jesus, we're not just called to be with him, not just called to be like him, but we're called to do the things that he did. If I call myself a follower of Christ, is following Jesus, the focal point of my life? And this is such a big question in a lot of ways. This is the question. So with the mindset that Jesus is our rabbi and that I am an apprentice who wants to be with, be like, and to do the things of Jesus, I want to take a look at John chapter 14. Now John 14 through 16 is is the beginning of Jesus's address, goodbye address to his disciples. And I want to encourage you, I know a lot of you on your phones, you like to read the Bible on your phones, but I want to encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, to, to grab that and read it. Because for me, there, there's a lot of conscious and subconscious distractions that come along. Uh, and I know some of you are watching this on your phone, so maybe stay just for a second longer and then uh, read later. But uh, I'd encourage you to actually just get in the physical Word of God. There's something real, real special, at least for me, when I sit down and I read these pages. 
But in his farewell address to the disciples, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And poor Thomas, I know he's brought up all the time, but a man who had a couple moments of doubt recorded in Scripture is known forever. Can you imagine if if your moments of weakness were forever recorded for everyone to know? I'm not going to play this game of actually say a name and and accuse them of something, but fill in the blank, the, the thief, who you might have stole a candy bar when you were a kid, but that's now your label. Things like Things like that. Thomas is the realist. He's asking questions that we're all thinking, and yet he's labeled. Start, uh, continuing on in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am, I myself and only I am, which reflects uh, terms like the Hebrew word for God, Yahweh, which means to be or the self-existing one. It is the name of power and authority in Jesus here and in six other statements like this throughout the book of John is claiming that power and authority with this statement. I am the way. The way is a path, a journey, a set of behaviors that lead to life to the full. And after this, it turns out he's the one and only way. Those who do not believe in Christ do not have a neutral stance with God because Jesus is the way. No other religion, no other acts can earn your way to heaven. Accepting Christ and following Christ is your only way. John 3.18, whoever believes in him, meaning the Son, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus also says that I am the truth. In other places in Scripture, John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And thank God for the grace of God, the grace of Christ. Because with Christ, there is no truth without grace. But there's also no grace without truth. Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then Jesus says, I am the life. And I think this is the one we tend to like the most because this is the one where we get something. We get the fullness uh, of life with Christ Jesus. But the guarantee is not just on the other side of eternity where we get eternity with Jesus and that life with him, but we get that guarantee. We can have the fullness of life with Christ on this side today, right now. The way of Jesus is more than just a set of ideas, is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's more than theology. It's more than morals. It's those things, but it's also meant to be the way of Christ, a lifestyle 
of Christ. Eugene Peterson wrote this about this passage. The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians with whom I've worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. Why do you think that is? I think there was an awakening of this when I was growing up in youth group. Everyone was wearing the WWJD bracelets and Shane Claiborne's uh, Jesus for President and I Kissed Dating Goodbye and all these books about the lifestyle of a Christian, the lifestyle of Christ and how we were supposed to replicate those things. But even our culture, the, the church's culture, learned to kind of push those things aside and call that, well, that's radical. You don't really need to do that. The way of Christ isn't that hard. I'm going to focus on, on the truth, and I'm going to learn as much as I can about, about who God is and what God can do, and that's how I get the life. I make a general direction decision. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to focus on truth, and that's how I get the life of Christ. But Jesus is saying, I am the way. And we need to focus on that because he is our rabbi. And if I am his apprentice, I need to be with, I need to be like, and I need to do the things of God. And when we focus on truth more than on the way to get the life, it's almost like asking Jesus to follow us instead of us follow Jesus. Jesus. And so the quote I want you to walk away here today like memorizing, thinking about, and really pulling away is, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. John Mark Comer, another book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, He talks a lot about this concept. And that's what Jesus means when he says, he is the way. But how much of life's life, Christ's life, looks appealing, sounds appealing, but we're just not willing to put in that little extra effort to get there. So question one, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your rabbi, your master? Is he your way of life? And the second question, what am I going to do about it? What does your lifestyle Jesus look like? being with Jesus by, by reordering your schedule, being like Jesus through the studying and mimicking of the actions of Christ through things like practicing the spiritual disciplines and doing what Jesus would do by living the way Jesus lived. And I think one of the biggest issues and the one thing I want to focus on for the rest of our time this morning is our busyness. Being able to slow down and focus on the way of Christ. There was a time when Angie and I, we were eating at Texas Roadhouse, and it was a season when, when the, the Spirit was like talking to me a lot. He's like, hey, you need to focus more on me and how I lead you in the day-to-day things. And there was a, a gentleman sitting next to us who was eating by himself, and the whole time, like, I just felt that nudge, like, hey, you need to talk to this guy. You need to talk to this guy. And I was like, not right now. I'm on a date with my wife. I'm enjoying my steak. Leave me alone, Jesus. And <clears throat> Ange ends up getting up to go to the restroom real quick. And not a moment that she takes two steps around the corner, this guy leans over to me. He's like, hey, what's the score of the Tiger game? And I look over the TV and I tell him, and that strikes like instantly. He's like, you need to ask him how he's doing. And I'm having a hard time hearing him. And so by the time Ange gets back to the table, 
which isn't that long. I'm sitting at his table. Everyone around us is like looking at me like, who, who is this weirdo? Uh, and end up having this really great conversation. He was going through a really rough time, just lost his business, uh, recently went through a really bad divorce, and I was able to sit and pray with him. Uh, and I, I don't know, this last part is really stupid, but we had like a little leftover on our gift card, and I was like, hey, I have the $4. <laughs> Probably should have, I don't know, that's bad. But um, <laughs> focus on <laughs> follow the Spirit's lead, being able to slow down, avoid your busyness, your schedule, because God wants to use you in the everyday. God wants to use you to, to bring his life, not just in you, but through you to others. Before all of this, this chaos, I think a lot of us were running on a crazy, busy schedule, a very unhealthy pace. We were fit, filling our schedules with anything and everything uh, in hopes of being the best and most productive friend, spouse, employee, whatever. But in a, in a time when a lot of our distractions are pulled away, I think we do have a, a very unique opportunity to take a step back and evaluate our schedule, to evaluate our life style. Last week, Josh asked you on a scale of, of 1 to 10 what your energy level was. And I appreciated the honesty, but overwhelmingly, the answer was 3, 4. Even in a time when a lot of our distractions and things on our schedule got taken away, we found ways to fill it. And I know it's a different kind of busyness. I know it's a different kind of stress, but we found ways to just fill our schedule And often in the system, the remedy over busyness, we think, is just simply rest, or a famous word that I like, vacation. But how many times have you gone on a vacation and said, I need a vacation from my vacation? Because you even filled your vacation with stuff. And I'm not saying vacation is a sin. I'm a good millennial. I love traveling. But the problem is, we think that vacation is the end-all, be-all, and the answer to busyness, to overwhelmedness, to stress. But Jesus, in Matthew 11, helps us redefine rest. He says, come, 11, 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's the part of the verse we love. Yes, Jesus, I need rest. But he redefines that here for us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many of us don't need rest in the way we would define rest. Jesus doesn't say, here, come, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you a pillow, blanket, and a 48-hour uh, coupon to a spa named Heaven on Earth. Like, no, Jesus instead gives us equipment, gives us a tool to work. He offers us a chance to rest by working differently. An easy yoke at his side with Jesus doing the heavy lifting at his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of joy, love, and peace. Dallas Willard wrote this about Matthew 11. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, 
and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, which means prioritizing our schedules with the focus of being with and being like our rabbi. And yes, that means saying no to things and even saying no to good things, saying no to uh, things that we like to do. And this is where we get tripped up because we like to fill our schedule with good things. Little League, soccer, coffees, meetings, uh, the list goes on, Netflix, binge nights, I don't know, like, and that's maybe the bad thing on the good list, but even I, from time to time, need just a night to just stare at a wall, you know? Uh, but what I don't want us to do is to get on the other side of all this pandemic stuff and rush right back to the way things were. Filling all of our time, potentially with all good things, but not truly focusing on the lifestyle and learning to work differently. The temptation for us is to set our priorities around uh, comfort and the American dream and on others' expectations of us. But I promise you, in those symptoms, you're going to run into exhaustion again and again and again. The two questions I want to leave you here thinking is, who is Jesus to you? Is he truly your rabbi? Is he your master? Is he worth following? And second, what are you going to do about it? Are you willing to take a step back and to truly reorder your lifestyle, to reorder your priorities? Because as an apprentice of Christ, that is what we are called to do. If you're still saying you're too busy, a practical thing you can do is, is keep a time log. The next two weeks of everything you do, just keep track of it. Write down, be brutally honest. Oh, spent seven minutes on Facebook there. Nine hours working there. 20 hours watching The Office again. Uh, we, we spend a lot of our time on, on really trivial things. Did you know that the average American spends 705 hours on social media alone a year? Over 2,700 hours watching TV. And for those keeping record, that's almost 37 times watching the entirety of The Office. If you're too busy, start by prioritizing the little things and see if you can knock some of that time down to focus on what really matters. If you still don't have enough time, I want to encourage you and challenge you to say no to things on your schedule. Even say no to the things that you want to do if it doesn't help you spend time and to be with and to be like your rabbi, to be with and like Jesus. And even after saying no and starting to clear your schedule, if you're still too busy, you need to make a much larger course correction. And I want to urge you to consider this very seriously because if you are still still too busy, you may be in danger of being too busy to follow Christ. Jesus is offering you life and life to the full. If we just accept his call and truly follow him. Follow him as an apprentice would. Jesus is the way, the one and only way, the truth and the life. 
Are you willing to lean in and lean into that lifestyle? If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the way of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, and be an apprentice to your rabbi. Thank you so much for being here worshiping with us. Again, if you want to experience the life of Christ, you have to adopt the way of Christ, the lifestyle of Christ. So as we, as you go out to, to focus on being with, being like, and doing the things of Jesus, may we all be the images of the way, images of the truth, and images of the life of Jesus. Amen. God bless. Thanks so much. Thank you.